Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Jane Winchester Paradise, the founder and president of five-year-old jewelry brand Jane Wynn. The brand struck a chord during the pandemic with its coin charms that message strength, positivity, and hope. I wanted to ask Jane how the company managed to take advantage of the opportunity and how she plans to maintain the brand's current trajectory. Welcome, Jane. Thanks for having me, Jill. This is such a big thrill for me. Oh my God. I'm so excited to finally have you on after we connected. I mean, it seems like a while, while, while back. It was pre-pandemic. And then I started sending you little notes during the pandemic because you were really on my mind. I, you know, as kind of quote unquote business shut down, I was by myself doing the picking and packing and I would listen to your podcast. So you kept me company. Oh my God. Well, hey, now you're official. You're in the mix. (laughs) I love this. And you know exactly what to expect. Um, But tell me about that. You were taking it all on. How large is your company or was it at the start of the pandemic? How many team members did you have at the time? And yeah, how were you able to maintain that? So as you mentioned, we're just coming up on our five years in business. And you know, when the pandemic hit, it was just two years. I had been, you know, I left a corporate job, started the business from my home. We're self-funded. Two years in, we had just outgrown, kind of we moved from the guest room to the living room, and then we blew up and we rented an office space. We hired our first time, our first full-time employee, and we moved into the space I put up some fabulous butterfly wallpaper and the world shut down. So it happened, you know, it was not ideal timing. And I remember sitting there in my new beautiful office thinking, that's it. That was it. And, you know, obviously with Shopify, we can see everything. And so there was one day that sales were very, very slow. And honestly, the next day, I think she was home. She started shopping online. We built our business as a, as a direct-to-consumer brand. So we were, you know, really primed. So many people had to move their business online. Ours already was online. Um, but it was harder to get to know my new employee as she started working from home. And we had our distribution center is in our office. I like it that way. I want to be able to see the orders coming in and out. And so my husband and I just jumped in and started picking and packing all the orders ourselves. I love this. Man, you were at our forum yesterday and there were so many female founders who said something similar to the effect of, we just launched pre-pandemic. And we're here now. Um, so glad to have all these women to talk to. I mean, I feel like we need like a survivor series. Like <laughs> there's a common a common thread. What for you in particular, um, if you hadn't seen those orders, like you're like, they're okay, they're coming. We're ramping up. Um, like you said, you were ready to just throw in the towel. Is that is? So it's so interesting. I mean, our business is built on core values that are, you know, very, very clear. We are, we're gritty and we dig in. And so, yes, I had that moment of fear. I mean, there was so much fear in the world, but also from that point forward, after taking a deep breath, it was, and I get the football analogy wrong, but I really thought of myself as like 
a linebacker, like someone that's like low to the ground and you get a lot of hits and you just take them and move it forward every single day. And so that was our mindset. And I think as business grew during that time, but factories shut down, everything that we kind of knew about the production cycle blew up. That's when we got very creative. You know, our customer wanted product. And um, I can tell you the funny story of how she migrated two different coins and their meaning through the pandemic. But, you know, the Protect coin became our number one piece. We could not keep it in stock. New York City production closed, but Rhode Island was open. Oh, nice. And so we moved everything to Rhode Island. Our chains are made in Massachusetts. So we were able to like literally piece it together. And there were a lot of waiting lists, but then, you know, we did get product in. So it was making the most of what we had and really using marketing to our advantage. So there were some pieces that we had planned that we only had parts of that we used in new ways. Yes. Did you know about this Rhode Island alternative? Was this just um, investigation? No, we started, I mean, I knew when I started Jane Wynn that I wanted to make a chunk of our product in the United States. And Rhode Island and jewelry production has a long history. So that was one of the things that drew me to jewelry in general. I had been making apparel at my last brand for a long time, the last company that I worked for. And I knew from that that I wanted some, when I launched Jane Wynn, I wanted it to be a product that people could connect with that was small so I could ship it, that I wouldn't have giant minimums that I could make here in the United States and not get kind of over-inventoried and had a high margin. So Rhode Island was you know, very early, we made prototypes and samples and had production in Rhode Island from the beginning. But there was a lot, I mean, I'm closer to New York. So I feel like New York kind of took over for a bit, but now we really make everywhere. So we have production in Rhode Island, New York, LA, as well as overseas. Okay, great. Tell me about the white space or the opportunity that you saw, because um, I I saw a lot of, I've been seeing for the last couple of years, jewelry brands sprout up that are um, more kind of this delicate look. And I love, I do love that your pieces are bolder and, and, and very like recognizable, I would say. I mean, I'm sure that had to do with it as well. Um, but yeah, what, what was, was that the, the drive? Like, we're going to do something different, maybe go against the grain. I don't know. <laughs> It's such a great question. Actually, no one has asked me a question like that before. We, I do my own thing and I love and appreciate trends. Um, I have to say though, with the coin jewelry specifically, I knew I wanted something classic and that was the coin. I'm more of an illustrator And so when I was drawing and sketching, I did want a little bit more space. And so having them two-sided, a true coin, there's a lot of coin jewelry out there that is more petite and actually it's only one-sided. It's kind of like a, a knockoff of the concept. I wanted it to really feel like a coin. And so 
I actually started with the words, the meaning behind each piece and mapped out what those were to mark kind of milestone moments. And then I started sketching and was so delighted that I had both sides. We made the prototype and it was 1.2 inches in diameter. And the second I put it on, people stopped me and said, what is it? It caught the eye. And I am not one for small jewelry. Who wants small diamonds? Who wants small bits of gold? We want bigger bits. So um, immediately the the core of the brand was around these original coins that were just a notch bigger. And then as we've layered on charms, they also, they just, they feel good. They're most everything is sterling silver plated in 14 karat gold. And it has a heft and a weight to it that really exudes the quality that we want in the semi-fine space. Yes. Well, it makes perfect sense as a gift. Was that kind of an idea going in? This is something you'll want to send somebody well wishes or congratulate somebody. uh, And is that panning out? Are more people buying for themselves than you would imagine? Yes. Well, both. A hundred, one hundred percent. So we kind of imagine that someone would buy one for themselves, something that they related to. And again, with my marketing background, we've spent a lot of time developing the packaging for Jane Wynn. And because we're direct to consumer, I just want that moment when someone receives it to be filled with delight. So you get a beautifully printed shipping box, you open it up and there's another layer. The gift box is gorgeous. The pouch, there's a card inside that explains the meaning. She should just be lighting up with every moment. And once she has that experience, adores her piece, really connects to the word and holds on to it, gets compliments, then the first thing she wants to do is to send it to someone that she loves. So we have seen that. It is just like clockwork. She buys, she's delighted, and then she sends one to her daughter, her best friend, her sister, and it magnifies from there. And then we get emails saying, hey, we're all turning 40. We all want the lucky coin. And it becomes a gift that they give each other. I love that. Talk to me about the price point and who your your customer is. You reference on the site, um, which was interesting to me, almost um, the evolution of luxury, like why this is a luxury. It's not their tr- traditional concept. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, I wish everything could be 14, 18 karat gold, but that price, and especially with gold through the pandemic, it's prohibitive. There are fewer people that would be able to wear our piece and certainly gift it. So we actually launched with a price point a notch higher than where we are now. We were over $300. And I remember after our launch event, a friend of mine who shoots straight, she said, the price is a notch too high. And so we adjusted slightly Our core coins are 278 to 298, depending on what chain you choose. And that has been a sweet spot. Now, I never want to make it seem like spending $278 on a luxury item. I mean, to me, that is still an extravagance. So I really put weight in that price and want to make sure we over deliver in that product and experience. 
For sure. So how are you getting in front of shoppers, gifters? Uh, what's working? You have an amazing marketing background, which I do want to dig into, but what's working? Well, you know, when we started the company, we knew that we would be digital marketing first. So, um, and, you know, I know digital advertising is tough. I know that it has been through some ups and downs and they have been painful, but it is still an amazing tool. So we spend a lot of time and energy connecting to customers digitally through digital advertising, of course, everything social, and we see a return. We focus on new consumer acquisition through that channel, and then we bring them through kind of our own funnel of repurchase after you know, we spend the the time and energy on the digital advertising. She enters through the core coins. um, And again, once she gets that first piece, we say it can be a bit addictive. She ends up a collector. So that's kind of fun to help her build. But I think, you know, the digital landscape, we have videos. We I'm on Instagram stories every single day talking about product. And she connects with me and she connects with the piece because she always has her phone with her. Oh, great. So Instagram, um, the other digital channels you're using, Google, Facebook, the, the usual suspects, yeah? Yes, all the biggies. Okay, great. So you're on there. <laughs> you're the face of the brand. Yeah. Tell me about the importance of that and the engagement when you do do an Instagram live. What do they want to see from you or know from you or um, how crucial is that? You know, it's so funny. We have done a few Instagram lives, but I've been more on stories every oh, day. Stories. Yes. And so in the morning, I go into the office and I say, good morning. This is what we have. And I take, we launch new product at least one a week. Um, because again, jewelry, it's not a high commitment in terms of inventory. So, and we're a very creative group. So we create these pieces and we test them and I, and I show the customer the pieces and I have customers that come to trunk shows that I'll see out and about. And they say, sometimes I just watch your story. So someone says, good morning to me. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And so it's a real connecting moment. And yes, I do kind of like the idea of the Instagram live, but it's more of like, that is a moment. Whereas we're really using Instagram stories and now to some extent, TikTok just to talk to her all the time. Oh, for sure. Are you on TikTok yourself? Yes. Yes. Oh, fun. You know, we have been kind of making more TikToks than just me talking, but I think that that's what will be next. I'm 50 years old and I'm on TikTok every single day. I adore it. We do get some, you know, I have five kids and they roll their eyes that, (laughs) oh, you're on TikTok. But I think absolutely every generation is engaging in their own way. And so you will see more of me personally taking that kind of what I loved about Instagram stories, talking directly to someone. That's what it felt like to TikTok. Yes. I love that you're saying that. I keep telling my team, do we, we can't just keep talking about TikTok in relation to Gen Z. Everybody's on TikTok at this point, right? Totally. And I, I mean, whatever I get, we joke at dinner what your personal feed is. I mean, it's so cool that you can have it catered to, just to you. So those kids, they don't know that, that we're getting our salad recipes there. 
Right. <laughs> you mentioned trunk shows, which is interesting to me. Is that core to what you do there often? I know it sounds archaic, right? But so our distribution strategy is direct to consumer and we are 85% of our business is done direct to consumer. But that other 15% of wholesale, I look at it as marketing that pays for itself. So we can see from Shopify, obviously, where we're shipping orders every single day in the states that are most important. We then go into those key markets in the best of the best stores that are a perfect fit for us. And then I go visit and I do it consistently. So um, we've done exclusive, exclusive product for Goop. And we go to the LA store and have a trunk show and everybody wants to come visit. The California market is huge for us. And then Dallas and Texas are the same. So we have a fabulous partner in Dallas in Highland Park Village called Market. And we go and visit and everyone kind of gets their Jane Wynn fix if we come and visit every quarter. Yes. I tell you what, at our event yesterday, you said Goop as a retail partner. And I felt like everybody was like, oh my gosh. Like it was, <laughs> it's very impressive. I guess everybody wants to get in there. Tell me about the effectiveness of that as a channel. Um, yeah. Was it, was it hard to get in there? I guess. Like what do they, what were they looking for? You know, I have to say, we did know someone and had a friend who knew someone at Goop, but it was really in our, the beginning of our second year and they took a chance on us and ordered, you know, one coin. It ended up in their holiday gift guide. And I think the price point is a great fit in Goop on kind of within their total assortment of jewelry. So that went well. And then, you know, we offered to do some exclusive product that went well. And now we're on a dropship program with them, which I adore. So they can carry more of the line. Um, we can hold the inventory. There are certain circumstances where they do buy into pieces so that they have as much as, as they need. For instance, we did an exclusive coin for their store in Hawaii that says Ohana, and they buy okay. that. Um, but they've just been an amazing partner and I don't use the word partner lightly, but they've been with us for a while. They treat us with respect. They, you know, I think old days of wholesale, like they pay their bills on time, which is important to know. And they market our brand and support us through, through email. And I, that really matters. I think if you're going to spend so much time investing with, a store. They've really been great to us. For sure. I love that. Well, you mentioned you're about 15% wholesale. Um, I know. Let's circle back to your your past. I know you have an impressive stat that you took um, your former, um, the brand, your employer, Lily Pulitzer, um, from 80% wholesale to 20, 20% DTC and flip my yeah, yeah. flip flopped it. it you took me got a it. To understand. Yeah. 80% DTC to 20 wholesale. Um, yes. Why was that crucial to the success of the brand? Or why is it like kind of the ideal balance as you see it? It seems that that's the go-to. Well, first, I wish I could take all the credit, but yeah. <laughs> I was along for the ride when the brand made that switch. And 
I will say working for Lily Pulitzer, I was there for 12 years. I started as a senior designer of accessories, became fashion director in charge of print and color, which is what they're known for, and then saw an opening. I've always done both design and marketing as there was, I was turning 40. There was an opening in marketing. It had been vacant for a while. And I really wanted to be a vice president by the time I was 40. So I pitched myself for the job and got it. And so was able to kind of go from vice president, the senior vice president of marketing as the company made that switch from being predominantly wholesale to switching to be predominantly direct to consumer and launching a pretty fabulous website. And I learned such an immense amount from the company in general. But what I saw was I am a people person and Lily has a very connected consumer. When there was the store in between the brand and the customer, it was harder to talk to her about exactly what the print was about or what new item was coming out. And so what I loved about that switch, obviously there were great things that happened to margins through that moment, but also from a marketing perspective, being able to speak directly to her and in segmented ways. So that's what I really wanted to take forward in Jane Wynn is it's a personal relationship we have with our customer. We value her so, so much. Sometimes she drives me a little crazy, but in general, we're in it together. And so, I mean, that was my giant takeaway is I want to build a company that has a relationship with their customer. And in order to do that, you need to have her email someone else. You can't say, hey, tell that person down there that we make coin jewelry with meaning. I want to tell her myself. (laughs) Well, you're definitely a rare person in that you're doing creative creative design you're on the design side the creative side and also the business business person the marketer um and does that really i mean i'm sure you can take on too much being <laughs> leading a brand but um yes does that how does that benefit you because i always hear somebody is either a, a company is either approaching their business with more too much of one than the other and maybe don't have the team in place to to balance that out yeah, it's very, very interesting. And I, I think am lucky in that my husband is also a part of the business and he does help balance me in terms of time and making sure that we're spending time on the right things. We spend a lot of time on strategy and what we want to do in building that roadmap. And so there are times that I am very creative and there are times that I'm really thinking about marketing. I love marketing so much. And then there are times when it's really spent on strategy and business development. I'll say one thing I really learned um, actually yesterday, and I know it, um, but you know, listening to some of the speakers at the Glossy event, I was reminded that you do need to hire more, probably a little bit earlier than you think. And as a founder, I do really value knowing how each of the jobs are done within the company. But um, at this point, I'm answering way too many customer service emails, and I need to move on from that. At first, it was a true connection to her to figure out what her questions were and, and building that connection. And 
Now I literally came back and I said, okay, these are the three spots we need to hire for. Yes. That was Nick Brown and that same sentiment stuck in with me where I'm like, I got to hire faster. Yes, totally, (laughs) totally. We're on the same page for sure. I love this. Well, tell me about, you're not located in New York City. You're not far, far away, Um, but am I correct? Is it um, Philadelphia? Yes, so we're outside of Philadelphia. We're so, so Philly proud. I ended up here through my job at Lilly Pulitzer um, they're based in King of Prussia. We're based, now Jane Wynn is based in Wayne. And I have to say, it is such a wonderful place to raise a family. I am about to be an empty nester. So I really think about kind of how the company has evolved through the pandemic and how people are working. We go to the office. I love going to the office. We have a really cool showroom space. Um, but I think as I have a little bit more freedom in my life. I think that um, we'll all be working from different places. And I'm excited to like, I don't know, set up a satellite office in LA for a while because that market's so important for us. Yes. So the office that you opened prior to the pandemic, that's still the office that you're going to nowadays and and you're going to hold on to it. Yes, we are outgrowing it. So I, I think one thing I love about Philadelphia and the main line where I live is that Everybody is really hometown proud and supports local brands. So we do not have a store. It is our showroom in our office, but and it's by appointment only. But my goodness, people want us to be a store and they want to come visit every day and they want to hang out. And so we are outgrowing our space. I think that we'll be looking for something a little bit bigger very soon. Yes. Well, do you think not being in New York or in a big city you were maybe better set up to to handle some of these changes um, during the pandemic where people are working everywhere and anywhere. Um, yeah. W- were you at an, adv- an advantage prior to the pandemic not being in New York and, and being able to save on costs here and there? Um, 100, 100%. I think not only were we at an advantage not being in New York, and I love New York, but we were at, a, at an advantage because we have our distribution in-house. So we weren't dealing with um, warehouses being shut down. We were able to continue shipping. And I I learned again that as well from Lilly. They have their distribution center attached to the office. There's that feeling of pride that, you know, you know the product is right there and it's shipping from there. So I I feel like I'm not positive... I love being in the office and I love being with my coworkers. I haven't given that up, but I do know that being outside the city helped us through this for sure. Yes. And not that Philadelphia is small cookies. Like that's a large city in itself. It <laughs> is. I- and we're outside of Philadelphia. I mean, we're in the suburbs making this fabulous jewelry. So, and it's, it does seem like I don't know, not your norm, especially if, you know, California and Texas, like so many brands are our top states, they they think we're in California. People will say, uh, even people here will come and say, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goop connection. I have to ask about some other kind of awesome brand alignment that you've had. Like, I know that you've been picked up by some traditional 
fashion media like the Vogue or the Harper's Bazaar. I know you've been worn by some celebs. I know there's Deborah Messing, Jill Biden. Like, hello. Talk to me about what's driving that. Is it about PR? Is it about your connections? Um, maybe gifting opportunities? So yes to all. I always say those kind of moments are really I have always used the term snowball effect where you know you're headed in the right direction when you pass someone and they say, I've just seen you everywhere. And it's because they get a digital ad and then, you know, they're reading Us Weekly online and see a picture of Jane Wynn on Deborah Messing. And then they get an email from Vogue and Jane Wynn is included in a Mother's Day gift guide. And so I have always really appreciated kind of the little, seeing the brand show up in lots of places. And, you know, from the beginning, we aligned ourselves with a couple independent contractors, women who I know through the, knew through the industry that do kind of more traditional PR and also brand building through introductions. And that has really been incredible for us. I absolutely could not for, afford a big agency. I'm sure they would have done a fabulous job too, but it was not in our budget. And I found kind of friends that I'd worked with for a long time. And they said, hey, my friend is an editor at Vogue and you should go see her. And hey, the store said, we're friends with the Bidens. They come shop here. And so it was, I think, because the brand is pretty genuine, there was a very genuine kind of connection that that happened. And um, I mean, those are such big moments for us that blow me away. And I do find whenever we connect with someone, it's because they genuinely like what we do. And that seems very authentic for us. For sure. What about influencers? Kind of the... The usual style influencers. Are you working with them? Okay. Hit or miss. Like it is all over the place. I will say while I, while I just said that we couldn't afford PR when we first started, I did hire a big agency to do influencer marketing for us. And at the time, you know, we were minuscule and I paid $5,000 for one project. And it, they placed our product with a bunch of women who honestly could care less about what we did, and we saw very little results. Now that we're a bit bigger, we see influencers, or again, we're kind of connected through a friend, and when they speak about it, it does drive sales. So I think that it, it I mean, and it's such a silly buzzword and everybody says it, but you can't just gift and cross your fingers. They have to be your style and like what what you do. And, you know, we only send out our core coins ex as gifts, but we'll say, you know, to influencers, cruise the site, tell us what you love. We, we'd be happy to send. And if they pick something that's off on left field, like kind of something I, I say I'm very creative that I was like, hey guys, let's do this crazy thing. As opposed to our core product, I'm like, Oh, we always want them to love what our core is all about first. Yes. So if they're speaking about that, then then it does drive the sales because their audience feels the same way. That makes perfect sense. Tell me about category expansion because you don't just do koi necklaces. I know you've done earrings and necklaces and rings and all of that. What's been the strategy there? Well, it's really funny. I mean, as I was preparing for our chat, I thought, and I know this, 
We have built a business on necklaces that is so specific. And I love that. Um, Again, coming from Lily Pulitzer, she built a business on the shift dress. And that was the core and the building blocks for her brand. So we absolutely have the same mentality. We are going to make the best coin jewelry that feels authentic and connects with people and is double-sided. And, you know, we're going to do that forever. Now, I also love the full neck mess, we call it. Layers of charms and hearts and um, tusks and things that kind of bring those coins to life. So I think in terms of expansion, it's almost like we're going to bring our style to other retailers. Like we've done an exclusive collection. Obviously, we've done stuff for Goop. We just did an exclusive collection with Kierna Zabet, which is a Oh yeah. Beth Buccini is the coolest on the planet. I've always idolized her. They have stores in New York, Hamptons, Palm Beach, and here in Bryn Mawr, (laughs) right where we are. So um, we married our two aesthetics. So I think forever the focus will be necklaces, but we have just kind of started working on some bracelets that have that same connection and meaning to them. So those will be coming soon. Amazing. Are you still self-funded? Yes. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> terrifying. And next year we're gonna have four kids in college. Oh my gosh. Uh, no plans. Like you're just making a go of it. Is fundraising in your future or right now? No. I will say as a small business, but growing quickly, profitability has always been our number one focus. So we knew that we wanted to run a small company that was profitable. We are starting to grow to a point where I can see when you do that, and then we double, and then we double, and then we double, and I know what we're spending on digital advertising, and I know all of the expenses, that that won't make sense anymore. Um, But I want to hold out as long as possible because I really, really am very proud of running a profitable business. And I think the top line numbers also look great. So I think that um, still a little TBD, even though it does get nerve wracking. Yes. Well, you do have great numbers. I know there's a stat. You grew, uh, sales grew 113% between December 2020 and December 2021. What are you projecting for this year? You know, it's such a great question. I feel like the world is, ah, makes you take a deep breath. Um, Not really sure. And planning is really hard. So we were a little bit more moderate in our plans with 50% growth over the next year. Um, My husband laughs at me because, you know, I ride or die with the numbers. And so if we don't hit our daily plan, I'm grumpy. And he talks about giving me a fake interface so I only see the good stuff. But we are we are beyond plan so far for this year. So that really helps with the confidence. And even though the news can be overwhelming and I think, how are we going to make it through this? Guess what we do? And today is 75 and sunny. And I just feel like even though I might have been a little bit more timid in our growth plans for this year, We're going to overachieve them, and that will give me the the confidence to do it again the next year. I love that. Is inflation the, I don't know, looming recession? Like, what is the biggest challenge on your mind now? 
So it's very interesting. I feel like we have been able to control our cost of goods and not raise our prices. And I'm very proud of that. And we've made some adjustments so that we still have the high quality piece at a margin that makes sense for our business. And through the pandemic, we saw our customer continuing to shop and not be affected. I know when she's having a moment, because again, I'm so connected to customer service in those daily sales. You know, the day that war broke out, sales were soft because her mind was someplace else. And so I think that's what affects me the most because I feel that connection with her and I feel the same way. Um, But so far, she has not closed the wallet. And I haven't either. So, you know, we're continuing to spend and invest. I went shopping after the seminar yesterday and bought a cute dress. I think, you know, she's still in an okay spot, but I I think really the recession is what scares me. We've lived, I've lived through that with other brands, but I'm very confident in the product and I'm very confident, again, at that ability for us to be scrappy and to adjust as needed. Right on. Well, as you're growing and maybe getting out of the weeds of the day to day, like what's your ideal next hire? What role will they fill? We really need more help kind of in the distribution pillar. So we're organized under three pillars, product, distribution, and marketing. Um, So I think first, you know, we've had some transition within distribution. So we need a strong hire there. And then we will also need another person in marketing. And we talked a little bit bit about this. We create our own content. And um, whenever it's not created by us or kind of we outsource a little, I don't love it as much. And I feel like in two seconds, our feed isn't quite, doesn't quite have the magic that I love about our brand. So I think we need another person in-house really on content creation. We have a very strong head of marketing now, and she needs some support so that she's not making the TikToks and working on the ads and scheduling. I mean, you know, and this and this and this. For sure. Is that Protect Charm still the bestseller? You know, we've seen an evolution. So um, before the pandemic, the best-selling charm was Lucky, best-selling coin. And I loved it because it's not, everyone said, I'm buying this because I feel so positive and feel blessed, not, oh, hey, I want to be lucky in my life. They They were already feeling the luck. So great, total right vibe for the company. The second the pandemic hit, Protect was number one, and it was for a very long time. In 2021, on January 1st, we launched Hope. And that became our number one seller immediately, which literally makes my heart like expand because our customer just wanted that so badly. And then this year, January 1st, 2022, we launched Balance. Oh my God. I mean, because (laughs) really. And so she gravitated to that immediately, but really since that was more January. And since then, it's been all love. So the love coin, I know heart, we cannot stop with the hearts, the heart that you have and that I'm wearing today. It's just people want the love coin and they want hearts, which I mean, makes me feel good. 
Yes. Well, that is definitely more positive. And yeah, a great note to end on. Hey, guys, peace and love. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Wear it in jewelry. (laughs) Yes. Jane, it was so good today. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you for having This is a highlight of my career. Thank you so much, Jill. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to The Glossy Podcast.